grab your Bible. We're going to jump in His Word today and continue on. Man, this is a great one today. This is one of those passages that I just genuinely love. And uh, you're going to see why when we jump in. But um, as always, this morning we are looking at the Word of God. I'm unpacking it. I'm just kind of un- unloading it for you. But it's His Word. It's not mine. And I'm doing that so that tonight when we come together for church, then we can wrestle through it. We can uh, reread through it. We can talk about it. You can ask questions. And believe me, you're going to have questions on this one, I'm sure. And uh, it provides a good opportunity for us to grow deeper when we gather. So that's tonight. We'd love for you to come for that. If you want to hit us up online, uh, you can find out how to reach us. Go to our uh, any social media link there or go to our website. Send us an email. We'll tell you how to find us. We're in Tempe, Arizona. And if you're anywhere in the East Valley, we'd love for you to come. I don't care where you're from, but I always say that because Tempe is kind of central. So if there's anywhere over here on the east side you want to come hang out, man, come on. We'd love for you to tell you where we're at. Um, but today, grab your Bible, turn to Joshua 5, and we're going to jump in here. We've been talking about this series, Is God Among Us? And uh, we've had a running theme. I read it each week of Revelation 21, verse 3. It's, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So today, continuing our theme of, Is God Among Us? We're going to look at, Is God Among Us as a Warrior? Is God Among Us as a Warrior? Um, maybe just because I'm a guy, but I really love this text here today. So you ever wish that God was on your side? You ever feel like he, he's not, and man, I really wish he was? Or maybe do you assume that he's always on your side, that he's always got your back no matter what? What if, what if God was not necessarily on your side, okay? What if God was not necessarily on your side, but did have a plan, and it was always the right one? Think about that a minute now. What if he wasn't always on your side, but he was always executing a plan that was always the right plan? Would you still want him leading the way? Be honest now. Would you still want him leading the way? Too many times we feel like we're all alone and that life is dealing us an unfair blow and a blow after blow. It's just not fair. And if God were there and he really cared for us, he'd probably hurt us a little less. Or he would allow less hurt to come upon us. Or maybe he would make us rich, not not want us to be poor. Or he would crush the people that are mean to us and, and make us happy. Um, but what if he came to you with a plan to lead you, but not because you're right and he's for you? Not because of that, but because he is right. He is right, and he's honoring his name through you. Think about that a minute. What if he came to you with a plan to lead you, not because you're right and he's for you, but because he is right and he is honoring his name through you? Um, look at Joshua chapter 5. I'm going to read this text right quick, and then we'll jump in here. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 says, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his sword uh, drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. 
When Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Verse 1, chapter 6. Now, Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for your awesome word. Thank you for the opportunity to dig into it today, to study it, to to take it in, to process it. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for redeeming and saving us. Thank you for being a God who fights, Lord, for us. Thank you for being a God who, above all, honors his name and his word. Love you, Lord. Again, ask that your word is heard today and not mine. In Christ's name, amen. So, uh, I, I, as many of you, put these glasses down so I don't fidget with them. Many of you know I've worked with gangs quite a bit in the past. And a few years ago, I was working within an area of East Tennessee. And a gang war broke out, pretty pretty significant one. And it kind of continued and it escalated and escalated. And the police were overwhelmed. The community was afraid. There was... All kinds of chaos going on, and these pastors decided to do get, get together and do a prayer gathering. Now, I am not condemning the power of prayer here whatsoever, so don't misunderstand that when I say that. But, but the decision that was made here by these guys was made very publicly with the full intent of these guys becoming famous uh, for stopping the war. Okay? Now... Now, I know them. I know who these guys are. So I'm not saying that judgmentally out of the left field. I know these guys. I know what was going on here. And the idea was pretty clear. Most people did, too. They wanted to see the war quit and be the face that made it happen. Um, And they had all sorts of media there for this thing. And uh, they were certain that this thing, this is a quote, that it was going to end violence and saturate the city with peace. It did not. It did not. Meanwhile, we, myself, and uh, a small team of men and women that I had, we were working together uh, with a few gang leaders inside the prison system. And we were trying to lead them to Jesus and then in turn make disciples out of them and and charge them to return to these gangs and and from the inside out pull down uh, this war at least, try to make it stop. One of them actually made a decision for Christ and began in that direction, actually began moving that way, trying to help change things. And we were also working with an elderly lady who did a lot with children in one of these epicenter neighborhoods. She lived there, and the children did, and so we were kind of plugging in and supporting what she was doing. Um, And none of that was publicized like the prayer stuff. We didn't talk about it to anybody. We were just doing it. But it did not end the war either. It did not end the war either. The mayor had a meeting in his office and he brought all these clergy together. I got to go to that and there were all kinds of solutions that were being thrown out there. Uh, we need to provide them jobs. If they have jobs, that'll bring an end to it. We need to provide them with education. They can't have a job. They don't have education. We should be giving them education. That'll put an end to it. Uh, they need the gospel. If they just have the gospel, that'll bring an end to it. No, well, if they don't have food, they're not going to hear the gospel. So we need to provide food. We need to feed them. We need to focus on making disciples and that's 
that's it. Well, if they don't have the gospel, they're not going to be disciples. Uh, we need to make sure they have fathers. We need to step in the role of father for all. I mean, it went on and on and on. Who had the correct solution? God. That's it. That sounds like a dumb, simple answer. It's not dumb, and it's not simple. Only God. The question was, who was seeking the commander of God's army? Who was seeking God's kingdom and trusting that there was a rule of authority that had a decision that was going to be made? And we were looking for that decision instead of trying to throw all our own out there. The pastor that organized the prayer event was quoted in the newspaper, and he said this, God used his people to change the city of Jericho in the Bible, so why can't he change this city? Now, just think about what what I just said. He, a pastor, said, God used his people to change the city of Jericho in the Bible, so why can't he change this city? How did God change Jericho? If you don't know, you'll see, but we... we you can re- if you know the story, you know. How did God change Jericho? God destroyed it. Smashed it. God's plan, sometimes it might shock you, okay? Sometimes God's plan might shock you, but he always has a plan. And the more, listen to me, the more ignorant you are of his word, the more likely that you're not on his plan, but on your own plan. And this guy, bless his heart, completely ignorant of God's word, if he's thinking that he wants to stop a gang war in the same way that God used his people to stop Jericho. Um, so today, God also shows Joshua that the battle, as well as Joshua and the armies of Israel, they're all, they all belong to him. The battle, the armies, Joshua, they all belong to him. And God doesn't fight for the glory of either side, but for his own glory. Okay, And I want you to think about this. Is God among us? And if so, does he fight for us? Does he fight against us? Does he fight through us or in spite of us? I want to ask these questions today. Maybe today you need to change your perspective. Maybe you need to realize that he fights for his glory. To make his name known. To lead others to worship him. And yes, that does involve us. You'll see that as we go. So Joshua chapter 5, you want to talk about the victorious life. Well, here's the model for it right here as we pick this apart. First, you recognize him as commander and Lord, worship him as God, and you follow him as a conqueror, as 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 Lord, as leader, as ruler. So the background real quick, you already know it, but they were enslaved in Egypt. God led them out by the hand of Moses in mighty miracles. He delivered them or brought them to Mount Sinai. He met with them. Uh, all kinds of amazing moments there. Uh, but they end up wandering the desert for 40 years because of rebellion and lack of faith. And a whole generation dies in the wandering except for uh, Joshua and Caleb. And so finally, 450 or so Years after Jacob and his 12 sons left the land to go to Egypt, the people have finally returned and they're finally there. And when they cross the Jordan into this land that was promised to them by God, they camp on this great huge plain. Uh, and there's a huge city on the hill in the distance. And it's a Canaanite city called Jericho. All right, so let's jump in there. Recognize him to begin with. Recognize him as commander, as Lord. Look at verse 13, chapter 5. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. When, jo- uh, when Joshua was 
excuse me. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. So let me show you the scene here. Uh, I was in Israel and I took some pictures of it. Now this has been quite a while back, so they're not super quality pictures. But in this one, you see Jericho, where Jericho was at. This this would be in the city would be uh, backed up against this mountain. I'm, where I'm standing, taking it would be where is the ruins of the city or what's left of a few structures. So it was backed up against this mountain behind it. And then facing the other way, if you were looking the opposite direction, you'd see here the Dead Sea in the distance. Um, that mountain now is behind me. And there's this great plain where there's houses there now and stuff. But this great plain going out there towards the Dead Sea. And it's hard to see in the picture, but you could actually see the Dead Sea there. And then as you're panning around a little bit, straight in front of you now is the top edge of the Dead Sea and the Jordan River. And if you continue to look around towards your left, the plain just continues out there. And the Jordan is in the distance uh, where you can see it a little bit there if you look close. And so there you have it. That would be the area where they would be camped out. And they're looking up on this hill, and they're seeing Jericho there against the mountain. And so imagine it. Joshua is out walking. I, I don't know what it looked like, but let's just assume for a minute. The way I picture it is this twilight, maybe dark. And he's walking, and he's looking up on the hill, and he's seeing the, the, the massive walls. And he's looking at the firelight on the walls as people and, and life is going on in that city, even though it's all closed up. And he's contemplating, how are we going to handle this? What are we going to do? How are we going to do this? God had led him there, didn't he? God led us here. I know he did. God had a plan. God had a plan, but this was a massive city. These walls were legendary. In fact, you see later when the story of Rahab, the people lived in the walls. They were so thick. Their apartments were in there. And so suddenly as, as uh, Joshua was thinking through this and just looking at it and kind of struggling maybe, at, this is my own opinion there, but as he's contemplating it and thinking about it, uh, he notices there's a guy standing there. Notices there's a guy standing there. And his sword is drawn. Now, if he's just standing there, he may not have noticed him, but it's, his sword is drawn. All right? And so when he sees that, it's in his hand. It notes that he's holding it. And drawn implies that the person is ready for battle. The person is ready to fight. Attentive. Alert. Kind of a disturbing moment, I guess. And so Joshua, he's the commander of the armies, right? So who put this dude over here? I didn't. Who put this guy out here with a sword ready to fight? I didn't put him there. Why is his sword out? What's he about? What's he all about? I didn't put nobody. Who stationed him here? Oh, whoa, whoa, wait. Is he a spy? Is this a spy that's, that's crept down? Is he actually from Jericho? Look at, uh, he goes on, he says in verse 13, Joshua went to him and said, are you for us? Or are you for our adversaries, for the, for the enemies? And he said, no, but I am the commander. That word commander is sar in Hebrew. It means chief. It means ruler. It means prince, captain. Uh, it's also the person who is head or first. Uh, it could be a, it's, it's used of higher beings, of angels, guardian angel type people. And he says, I am the sar, the commander of the army of the Lord. I love that he says no. That's such a powerful statement here. Are you for us or are you against us? No. Whoa, right? God fights for the faithful. God fights with the faithful. 
for his glory to accomplish his agenda. Neither, listen to me, neither name nor race nor ethnicity automatically puts God on your side. Get it? Hear it? I said it. Neither name nor race nor ethnicity automatically puts God on your side. But what God does is keep his word. And he said this moment was coming. And so it's not about which side he's on. It's about keeping his word. So who is this person that's standing there? Well, some argue it's Michael, Archangel Michael. And uh, I'll give, go on and be fair and give you a couple of verses that su- support that. They're both in Daniel, Daniel chapter 10, verse 21. Another angel is describing spiritual warfare that's happening to Daniel. And he says, there's none who contends by my, the angel saying by my side, against these other angels, except Michael, your Israel, your prince, or your angel. That's what he's saying, except Michael, your Israel's archangel. Um, I don't have time to go into all that. I just want you to see the use of the words. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, says, At that time, in the end of days, shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people, or angel. It's the same language kind of being used back over here when he's saying, I'm the commander, the prince of the army of the Lord. So some would argue it's Michael. But this person back over here in Daniel first is described as a man. All right, because that's what he says. I see it saw a man there with that holding in his hand something. And then he's also declaring himself the prince of the armies of God. That's a pretty bold statement to say, I am the chief prince of all of God's armies. So is this man a man or an angel or is it something more? Well, this is an easy answer for me. Who commands God's armies? Who do we know, according to scripture, commands God's armies? Now you see Michael leading God's armies, but it, but only in that one spot, really. And you don't, to say that he commands them is something unique. Look at uh, Isaiah 48, verse 2. Isaiah is full of this. Who commands God's armies? Angels, men, all of his armies. Look at verse 2. For they, Israel, call themselves after the holy city and stay themselves on the God of Israel, the Lord of hosts, Jehovah Savah. That's what that is. Or Yahweh Savah, the proper name, Lord. Savah, which means armies or war. Even armies is his name. So the God of Israel, the God, Lord, Jehovah, whatever, of armies or even war. That's his name. That is his name. He is the God. He is the commander of armies. He is. So who's in charge of the Israelite army here? Not Joshua. That's that's what this moment's all about. This man standing there is. He's in charge of God's army. Israel is God's army, not Joshua's. Israel is God's army. The conquest of Canaan will be for uh, God's glory, not Joshua's. The name Jehovah Savah is going to be known. That's what's going to be known, not Joshua, son of Nun. That's what's going to be known. Isaiah 44, verse 6, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. There it is again. The time you see Lord of hosts, it's that uh, Jehovah or Yahweh Shavah, Savah. It means God of armies, uh, but it's the proper name. It's I am God, Jehovah, Yahweh, God of armies. 
It says, thus says the Lord, the king of Israel and his redeemer. And notice it's tied to redemption comes through this God of armies. And see the word and there, king of Israel and his redeemer. But then he says, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, singular, there is no God. He say, so you have this amazing picture of the Trinity there that this person who is king of Israel is joined by his redeemer who is the Lord of uh, armies, but yet they're all together one God because there are no other gods besides him, singular. Wild stuff, but that's what we're, that's the person we're talking about. Isaiah 47 verse 4, our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, same name, is his name. He is the Holy One of Israel. There you go. I'm not going to keep going. I can pull tons of them out. But the point here is that this person is not an angel. This person is not not simply an angel and is not simply a man. This, this person is God. The way Joshua responds, which we'll look at here in just a second, affirms this is not just an archangel. The way that he responds. It's more like it's the angel of the Lord that was in the burning bush. That angel. How does Joshua recognize him, though? Now, he didn't initially. He walked over there. But based on the way he responds here in a second, it's very clear. He knows he recognizes him. Well, his desire for being close to God has led him to a place where he knows his presence. You can go back and look. We already looked at it last week. But you can look at Joshua's life. When the angel was in the cloud, God in the cloud that moved them through the wilderness, on Mount Sinai, up up in the in the cloud where God was there and present, and and He saw Him in the tent of meeting. He's the one that stayed there and saw Him descend and talk to Moses, and He stayed. All of these things have created this environment where Joshua knows who He is, and as a result of that. His presence there in the moment, again, causes Joshua to worship. And think about this, too. This is a moment for Joshua. It's not about Moses now. It's not about uh, being up on the mountain with the 70 elders now. It's about just him. And it causes him to worship. So he recognizes him as commander and Lord, and then he worships him as God. Look at verse 14. The uh, person speaks and says, or God speaks, I'll say it. I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth, fell, threw himself down, nose down onto the earth and worshipped. That means paid homage, worshipped, and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Now that word Lord is not the proper name of God. That's the word Adonai here, which just means ruler or whatever. It's not saying Jehovah there, but he is paying homage to him on his face. He is worshipping at the feet of this angel. If this were an angel of God only, he would have quickly told him to stop doing that. Because we see it in scripture. Multiple places. Angels saying, worship God alone. Um, but here he is laid out doing this. Worship his angel. Jesus proclaimed, the kingdom of God had come. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. What he was saying is, I'm here. I have come and I am God, Emmanuel, God among us, and the kingdom of God, therefore, is here. There's a similar declaration happening in this moment. He says, now I have come. The time, the moment is at hand. I am here. His presence is actually there. Joshua is the commander, right, commander who has raised and trained Israel for battle, and he's acknowledging himself as the servant of this one. 
He's kneeling. He's falling on his face. He's in full surrender to this one, even though he's the one for the past 40 years that's been training Israel for battle alongside Moses until he died. Um, and they had fought battles. You can go back and read it in your own time. As they were, they weren't just wandering aimlessly. They were wandering into other territories and they were gradually beginning to face battle after battle after battle. They even fought giants. You can read all that's there. They learned to fight. They found the courage that they didn't have before. But this is not going to be based on all of their courage. This is not going to be based on their training in the wilderness. This is not going to be based on Joshua's skill and brilliance. This is going to be based on God and the way he wants to do it. And it shouldn't be a surprise. Back in Exodus at Mount Sinai, I'll read it to you real quick, but we talked about it last week. Exodus 23, God told Moses, and Joshua would have been there, been present, or heard it at the very least from Moses. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way. I'm looking at verse 20. Uh, and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him. Obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. Now, we already talked about that last week, but this angel that he's talking about clearly is more than an angel, and God is saying it himself. Verse 22, if you carefully obey his voice and do all I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. Look at Exodus 33, verse 1, same time period. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here now, leave Sinai, you and the people whom you've brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your children, offspring, I will give it. I'll send an angel before you, reminding him, well, he's already said it, he's saying it again, and I'll drive out the Canaanites, that's those who inhabit Jericho, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Pezites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites. Uh, so God had already told them, this person was going to be there and be doing this. Back in Joshua 5, verse 15, the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so, acknowledging that he believes him. And he's already on his face. So it's not like he's slipping them off. I'm assuming he's laying flat on the ground and he kicks them off of his feet. The land, though, is not what made it holy. The land is not. It's the presence of the person who is there. And in this whole moment here, and using that language that sound familiar, he's establishing Joshua the same way that he established Moses. There was an angel standing in a burning bush that was not burning up. There now is another angel, the same angel, I would argue, with a drawn sword. In both cases, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. You're in the presence of him, of God. This is... Forty years after God told Moses uh, about sending that angel ahead. This is 40 years later of wandering in the desert. And Moses is dead now. But Joshua knows God's word. Joshua has remem remembered God's word, retained God's word, anticipated God's word. And so now he's recognizing him when he sees him. He's worshiping him for who he is. And that's why he follows him. So recognize him as commander and Lord, worship him as God, and then follow him as conqueror. Look at uh, verse 1, chapter 6. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. They're afraid. They've seen him, you know, they've millions so people out, all out on this plane. They've very obviously seen him. They've heard about the crossing of the Red Sea. They've heard about some of their conquests outside of the land. 
And so none went out, none came in. They're anticipating war and invasion. They're making sure the doors stay shut. Verse 2, and the Lord said to Joshua, look right there, Lord there is all caps, that is the proper name Jehovah Yahweh. So now the person speaking, so we've either changed scenes, or the angel is now being referred to as the Lord because when he's speaking, it's saying the Lord is the one speaking, which is what I believe is happening. I believe that the angel has, quote, quote, unquote, angel, God, has stepped into this moment with Joshua to draw up a battle plan. So now that Joshua has acknowledged him, worshipped him, recognized him as authority and leader, called himself servant, he says, all right, let's go to battle. Here's what we're going to do. What he says, I have given Jericho into your hand with his king and his mighty men of valor. This is wild, guys. This is aggressive. This is aggressive. This is not defensive. Drawn sword. This is not about God standing in the way to protect Israel from the bad guys. This is about God attacking them. I don't care how you twist it. That's what's happening. Attacking them. Is God a killer? Does God war? Listen, if you haven't wrestled with this, you better get in the Word. Don't just make Him who you want Him to be. Get in there and find out who He is. It's important that you know. You might find yourself on the wrong side with the wrong answer. You better know who He really is. Clearly, God has enemies, and clearly, God battles. There are countless examples, which I'm not going into all of them, but I'll just give you a couple of little statements about it. God battles for his name's sake, for the glory and righteousness of his name. I'll give you one, Isaiah 48:11. For my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will give to no other. God's not going to sit there and let his name be disgraced, his name be profaned. And the more that happens, the more you declare yourself an enemy, the more you, you provoke that response. God is sovereign in all things. Isaiah 45 verse 23, by myself, God says, I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return, a statement that's not coming back. It's going to stand forever to me. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. He is absolutely sovereign. Everybody's going to kneel to him at any way. Regardless of whether you do it living or dead, it's going to happen. And Paul, I'm not going to go to it. You can look it up in your own time. And Paul in Philippians points out that that is Christ is the one to whom everyone is going to kneel. Again, pointing to the fact that Christ is God. Uh, I, I didn't look it up, but another verse that comes to mind where everybody's familiar with it. He, God, gives and God takes away, right? In Job, God gives and God takes away. Not just cars and houses. Life. God gives life and God takes it away. Uh, there's a lot to go into there. I'm not trying to go into it all, but I just want you to, to stop and think. And, and hey, come tonight. We'll talk about it. Come tonight. We'll, we'll talk it through. But what's God's plan? I'm not going to read it. You can read it later in, in Joshua 6 and see how it all goes down. But basically, Israel, uh, the armies of uh, Israel are going to march around the city uh, for six days. They're going to do one march every day for six days around the city. 
And in the middle of the line of the army, right in the middle, will be the ark carried by the priests. And there'll be seven of those priests leading the ark around in the middle of the people. And they're going to be blowing trumpets, their shofars, their ram horns. They're going to be blowing those uh, constantly as they walk. But the people will say nothing. Now, I'm sure to the people of Jericho, this looks crazy. All right? These people are nutso. And then uh, on the seventh day, they're going to march seven times around. And on the seventh time, uh, they are all, the, the horns are going to hold out a long blast and all the people are going to yell. And the walls, these legendary walls, are going to fall flat to the ground. God delivers his plan. God's going to execute his plan. But together with his people's obedience. Alright? Acting on faith in God's plan. Alright? God delivers the plan. God's going to execute the plan. But together with the people's obedience, acting on faith in God's plan. That's how it works with us, guys. And note too here, by the way, the rest of the people are only getting that plan from Joshua. They're having to trust that Joshua's hearing from God because God didn't announce it to everybody. He just told Joshua. John Richardson, a, a good brother of mine, another pastor in Texas, he he uh, said this, and I, and I love it. He said, am I moving in faith to prove something to God or in anticipation of what God will show me? That's not a direct quote, but it's pretty close. Forgive me, John, if I slung it wrong a little bit. But <laughs> but basically, I love it. I've been thinking about it ever since he said it. Am I moving in faith to prove something to God. Here's my plan, God. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to do this. Or in anticipation of what God will show me, I'm just going to serve you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust you. You show me what you want to happen. God's being reasonable here too, by the way. He's not asking them to run up to the wall, stand underneath the flaming tar that they pour over the side and expect deliverance. You know, He's not asking them to do that. This is not about an example of God telling you by faith to jump out of an airplane and expect he's going to catch you. It's not what, it's not what he's saying here. He, he, he's saying that he has a plan. He's asking them to do something that's not that complicated, although odd, no doubt. But it's so that he gets the glory. He said, I've given them into your hand, king and mighty men. He's given all. Israel's king is already king over all kings. It's already a done deal. He's already king over all kings. It's already done. The fight's already won. It's not about their ability, but they're still expected to act. Christ is our king, guys. Christ is our king. He has already won the battle, but we still walk by faith into battle. You understand what I'm saying? It's more than just we win in the end. I'm so sick of hearing that. Oh, the good news is we win in the end. We already, he already won. He already won. We're, we're watching God's battle though in real time. We are joining with him spiritually in real time. We're ending hurt. We're seeing him do this and do it through us. Ending hurt, uh, removing poverty, casting out demons. Caring for widows, caring for orphans. We're seeing him do that through us. The battle's won, but he's working, the war's won, but he's working the battle through us. So how does this work with us today? I love the way Moses put it in a psalm he wrote. And I'm going to give you this out of the New Living Translation just because I like the way it reads. Psalm 90, written by Moses, verse 16. He said, let us, your servants, see you work. 
again. Let our children see your glory, and may the Lord our God show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, make our efforts successful. You work again, make our efforts successful. Though the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ, has already given us the victory, we also have a battle, we also have a plan, and we also pray, Lord, make our efforts successful. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, Paul wrote, For though we walk in the flesh, though we're human, then we're alive, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to demolish strongholds. He goes on to say in Ephesians 6, verse 12, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Christ has won us the victory, but we still do battle. It's still something that he is doing through us. We're joining him as he does this battle. If you're a believer, look, maybe there's something that seems impossible to conquer. I don't know. Maybe you got something in your life. It just seems impossible that the wall is so high, the wall is so thick, you really don't know if you can defeat it. You might have tried. You might have tried to figure out ways to get through to do you. You might have just given up. You might have just said, well, God will take care of it someday. I'm done. I, I can't, I can tell you this. Christ is the commander of the Lord's army. Jesus Christ is the commander of the Lord's army, and he has already conquered it. I don't care what it is. I don't care how big the wall is. He's already conquered it. Maybe it's time for you to fall on your face, take off your shoes, fall on your face, and listen to his plan. Worship him until you hear from him. And you know how you're going to hear from him? You're going to know his word, because if you don't know his word, you're not going to recognize him if he was there anyway. Know his word. How often do we expect God to defend our cause? I'm talking about believers here. We expect God to defend our cause when it's really about making us look good or giving us a bigger stage. How many times do we expect God to fight for us when the goal is something that makes us more well-known? We want God to fight for us, but that's so we can have a big story about us and the world can see how cool we are and how close to God we are. How often do we just charge ahead with something? Excuse me. We charge ahead with something that we've, we've planned it out. You know, we've covered all the bases. We've made sure it's done according to what all of the uh, religious and spiritual people say we're supposed to do. Only to find that God has a totally different plan. God has a totally different plan. And listen, his plan won't allow you to share in the glory that he's going to get for it. All that being said, one thing we can definitely know, listen to me, one thing we as believers can definitely know from this, he does care. He does fight for his people. He does have a plan. It is in his nature he does that. And if you belong to him, therefore, this applies to you. It does. The battle's not about winning or losing. Remember, he's already won it. The battle is about joining with God in obedience. It's about the battle for us is in being obedient. And that whole picture is so that others will see that God is among us as a warrior. But that's only going to happen 
if the battle is fought in a way that brings glory to his name and not ours. You understand what I'm saying? People are only going to see that he is among us as a warrior if the battle is won in a way that only he gets glory for. Otherwise, we did it, right? Uh, look, if you can't say for sure that you're one of his people, hey, if that's not you, you're like, man, I, that ain't me, man. Well, I, you know, I've never seen him fight for me. Matter of fact, I don't know why he would want to bother fighting for me. If he knew who I was, he for sure wouldn't want to fight with me, fight for me. Uh, he probably don't even want to talk for me where, talk to me where I've been. Look, I know how you feel. I really do. That was me for quite a while. I'm not taking time for my testimony right now, but that was me. Ex-drug addict, uh, ex a lot of things. And yet I can tell you one thing for a fact. He does love. He does love to fight for the broken. To fight for the desperate. He loves to fight for the chained. Feel like you can't get loose? Feel like you can't break free? You're in a perfect place for him to fight for you. He's already fought the biggest enemy you will ever face. An enemy that's more ominous than the most tall and huge thick walls you can imagine. An enemy that is more ominous than giants. Then, then all of that stuff, Old Testament stuff, uh, uh, more dangerous than the most heinous drugs you will ever run into, more powerful than any prison that you'd ever get locked up in, more, it's more deadly than the filthiest mouth, the grandest theft, or the, the bloodiest murder. That is death. That's the enemy, death. And he's beat it. He's totally conquered that. It's already, he's already faced that down and conquered it. That's what the cross and the resurrection is about. So I'm asking you today, listen, can you recognize him today? Can you recognize him today? If you can recognize him, listen to me, you will worship him. The fact that he would love you for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. It didn't say for God so loved the guys who got it right. It didn't say for God so loved the ones that were cleaned up and doing well gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Man, that's for you today. I'm challenging you today. Tell him, I'm sorry, Lord, I need you. I'm sorry, Lord, you can have me. Word it however you want. Say it to him. Repent. That's what it means. Give him your life. And then tell us we want to pray with you. We want to walk with you. Let me pray for you now. Lord, thank you for your word. It is so amazing. Thank you for the opportunity to be in it and to study it. Lord, we love you so much, and we ask that you're glorified in our lives. And if somebody gave their life to you today, Lord, I pray that you would uh, bring them into a place where they have uh, faithful brothers and sisters around them that can help them become a disciple who makes disciples for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.